Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now here's your host, Dr. David Hilden. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of the Healthy Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. David Hilden, and we've been getting lots of really great questions from listeners about timely healthcare topics. So we've decided to do another episode of Hilden's House Calls, where we dedicate an entire show to your questions about anything that's on your mind on healthcare. So let's get right to it. John? Okay, so let's get started. The first question we got was Marie from White Bear Lake. She writes... I heard there was a recent polio case just outside of New York City, and I was pretty much convinced that this was a thing of the past. I have two young kids, and I'm wondering if there's anything I need to be concerned about at this point, or if you could shed any light on the subject. Thanks. That's right, Marie. Just this past week, there was a case of polio found uh, just outside, I believe, of New York City uh, in the suburbs. And you're right. Polio was determined to be eradicated from the United States um, way back in the late 70s, or maybe it was the early 80s. And that is exclusively because of the vaccines that people get in their childhood. So polio, for those of you of a certain age, know is a devastating disease that causes weakness, and in the worst situations, it causes paralysis. Its full name is poliomyelitis. And lots and lots of people got it back in the 40s and 50s. It was devastating. And our President Roosevelt, he had it, for instance. So it it was really a big deal. Then Sabin and Salk came up with their vaccines and it went away. But polio still exists in the world, just in pockets. There are no known wild cases or native cases of polio in the United States since the late 70s. But in many parts of the world, they use the oral polio vaccine. You know, there's two vaccines. One's a shot and one's oral, Mm -hmm. a, a liquid that kids take. And the oral one is not used in the United States anymore because it contains a, a live virus. And But it's used in other parts of the world. So the case in New York is likely, it's brand new, but it is likely that that person came from another country where they use the oral vaccine. And because the oral vaccine is a weakened but is still a virus, it actually contains the virus, it has the small potential to replicate. And somehow or other, it probably did that. Now, this is a brand new case. So uh, we, we're going to learn more about that. But it, it is likely imported from another country, likely due to a vaccine that we do not use in this country. And so there is a very, very obvious and clear thing you should do to protect your children. Make sure, make certain that your children are getting their childhood vaccines. Remember, the polio vaccine in the United States does not include that oral version. So it is you cannot get polio from it. And in fact, you are preventing polio if you give your child uh, vaccinations. And so not only the polio, but all childhood vaccines are highly, highly effective at what they're intended to do. So all parents, make sure your children are getting their polio vaccines. And then you frankly don't have to worry about it. Excellent. Thanks for that. And moving on here. Now, this is a question from John in Minneapolis, which just so happens to be me. Uh, I love pickled foods, right? I am my father's son. I love all things pickled, whether that be herring or pickles or pickled onions, pickled mushrooms, pickled beets, what have you. Is there a downside to eating that all the time? I can't believe that there would be because uh, a lot of the planet does that. But uh, whether it be kimchi or anything like that, I hear there's an upside to it for sure. But what do you know about any downsides, if any? John, you might be the first person I've met with that kind of passion for I pickled foods. Yeah. 
I was in Finland once and everything was pickled. It was pickled this, that, and the other thing. I asked one Finnish woman one time, I was in the line at a buffet, and I said, what's that? She goes, it's fish. And I said, what's that over there? She goes, that's fish too. And I said, what's over that? And she said, it's fish, but it was all pickled. It's a, it's a thing. So pickling, no matter what you're pickling, is a relatively healthy uh, food preparation uh, method. Oh, thank God. As far as I know. A little caveat. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not an expert on that. But what pickling does is it takes whatever your food is and it marinates it basically in usually vinegar and some salt, uh, basically a brine. Mm-hmm. There are some good things to that. Kimchi, for instance, probably has loads of, of probiotics in there because as things ferment, and that's really what's happening in pickling, you're fermenting foods, they develop uh beneficial bacteria and organisms in it. So that part is good. Kimchi, for instance, or anything that you're pickling probably has some probiotics in it. Good for your gut, then. It is good for your gut. And secondly, it might contain other nutrients, various vitamins. Now, I won't get into details in that because I'm not an expert, but vitamin A or vitamin C, that kind of thing is probably also in pickled foods. There's one downside that I'm aware of. Salt. That's the mm. other thing that's in pickled foods. Uh, it's usually vinegar and salt and, and some kind of brine. And so if you are someone with heart failure or you are someone with high blood pressure, you should make sure that you monitor your salt intake wherever that salt came from. And so some pickled foods or maybe lots of pickled foods, maybe all of them, have a great deal of salt. So be careful if you uh, if you are salt sensitive, particularly if you have heart disease. For all other reasons, I say go for it. All right. I like this answer. I, you know, with low blood pressure, just eat away, huh? That's right. Although, um, I also recommend a, an after-dinner mint. Yeah. Well, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always a downside to it. But, uh, but hey, all right. Good to know. So we actually did get another related question from Steve in Kansas City on our phone lines. Here it is. This is Steve from Kansas City. I have a question about grilled foods. Aside from cholesterol or high-fatty foods like red meat or pork, is it bad to eat grilled foods all the time? About that one. I'm kind of setting you up here, <laughs> but uh, is there such a thing as too much barbecue? In general, if you charbroil your food, I mean, you're cooking it over a flame that makes it black and chars it. One, that kind of tastes good for many of us, but mm. that is the problem of grilling foods. If you don't blacken your food beyond recognition, it's not all that unsafe. In fact, it can be quite healthy because you are simply heating food through without having to use lots of oils or creams or things. So I say go for it on barbecue, just like I said on the previous question about pickling foods. It's a tasty and good way to eat many foods. But you should know that when you char food, when it becomes blackened, that is uh, introducing carcinogens or cancer-causing agents. Um, And so ingesting tons of that is probably not healthy. On the other hand, I'm not sure what the science would say about how much charbroiled food do you have to eat. I mean, if you're doing this three times a day and you're having blackened this and and you know blackened fish one day and right. then you've got charbroiled steak the next day, if you're doing it every single meal, that's not going to be good for you. But I think the occasional grilled food that is charred would be okay. And much more often, I think grilling food is just fine if you're not charring it. But okay. uh, you know, th- there is some evidence that there's a cancer-causing agent in when food gets blackened. Okay. 
but there's typically nothing, no such thing as too much barbecue as long as you're, I mean, I suppose everything in moderation, right? I think everything in moderation, but you know, I'm thinking, you know, this caller's from a place where barbecue is like- Oh, it's a thing. A, a, it's practically a religion down there. And far be it from me to say <laughs> right. that, that someone from the state of Missouri shouldn't be uh, barbecuing their food. That would be almost like a heresy. Yeah. Um, and frankly, it's getting me a little bit hungry. I hear that. All right. Okay, cool. Okay, and then we got this one also on an email, and this one came from Claire in St. Cloud. She writes, I'm curious about monkeypox. We've been seeing a lot of it in the news lately. Curious about not only just the name, but are there cases in Minnesota, and are there many cases in the U.S., and is it something to be concerned about? You know, it it, it almost just seems like uh, what we all come to expect, there's going to be some new horrific plague that hits the planet right. Earth, and now it's monkeypox. In reality, monkeypox is not new. It's been around for decades. It's mm. just not very common. It is caused by the same viruses that cause the other pox, P-O-X, disease, um, uh, and, and things like smallpox or chickenpox. Okay. These are caused by viruses. And the monkeypox originated in some other uh, um, portion of the of the globe. I'm, I'm frankly not aware exactly where, where that started. But it is not just this thing you get from monkeys. It is probably in other mammals and rodents and, and things like that. I'm going to liken it to chickenpox, but it's not the same. But okay. you get these little vesicles or these little fluid-filled things on your skin. They can get itchy. They last a couple weeks, and then they go away. In the majority of cases, even of monkeypox, it's it's mild. In people, it just goes away. In 3 4 5% of people, however, it can be very, very serious, and it can infect your whole body. So it's potentially quite dangerous. The good news about monkeypox is that it's not common. There have been a couple thousand cases in the U.S. so far. And, you know, that sounds like a lot, but is in, with a country this size, it's not that many. There have been a handful in the state of Minnesota, but I frankly don't even know if they were confirmed. There were a handful of suspicious um, people came in with a thing, and I don't even know if they were confirmed. Okay. So it's relatively small. There is a vaccine that is effective against it. It is not widely available because we haven't needed it. So I, I, I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine that there are some smart people trying to figure out a way to get vaccines out to people. It is known how you get it. You get monkeypox through skin-to-skin transmission. That we know. Okay. Uh, that is not uh, any great mystery. And so any kind of skin-to-skin transmission, so that can be sexual transmission, but it doesn't have to be. It can be just touching skin, shaking hands oh, with, somebody, okay. yeah, right. with somebody who has kissing, things like that. It is not a disease of any particular group of people. It is a disease that anybody can get with uh, skin-to-skin contact. So if you are um, in large gatherings of people that you're that you're not that, that familiar with or people who have come from a variety of places, big parties or something, and, and uh, that's where I think some of the outbreaks have been seen. But uh, you are not at risk of getting it without skin-to-skin contact. And the good news is it's rare and it's mild. In most cases, it's mild. As far as where we are right now, though, not much to be concerned about at this point? Yeah, I'm not telling people to be uh, too concerned about monkeypox. This is not the great plague, the next one. Although, you know, it's a, it is spreading. It's weird because we, you know, it's been around for decades. Why now? Why are we getting 2,000 cases? We didn't have that a few years ago. So it is spreading. So people should be cognizant of their behaviors. If you are in close contact with a lots of people with whom you're not particularly familiar, uh, that, that's how it's, it's probably spreading. So just be careful with your behaviors. Gotcha. Okay, cool. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back to a couple more of these questions. Hang tight. You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Have a question or a comment for the doctor? Become a part of our show by reaching out to us 
at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. That's 612-873-8255. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation. And we're back with more healthcare questions on this episode of Hilden's House Calls. John, what else do you have? Okay, so this one seems to be kind of related to what we were just talking about as far as skin conditions and maybe vaccines. Uh, This one came in from Diane from Champlin. She writes, I'm 45 and I've got some friends who recently got the shingles vaccine. Wondering if it's a good idea, if I'm a candidate, and if so, when and where should I look to get one? So this one's near and dear to my heart because I got shingles when I was roughly yeah. that age. You know, okay. you know, I did. I had it on my forehead. And um, and so I, I can relate to this question from Diane. At age 45, you are not yet at the suggested guidelines. Okay. The, the CDC guidelines say that all people, and I mean all people, over age 50, 50 or older, you should consider getting the shingles shot. The, the story of shingles is this. It is uh, – the medical term is zoster, herpes zoster. Um, herpes is a uh, – you know, everybody thinks they know what herpes is, you know, because, but you only know one little bit of it. What herpes viruses are is a whole family of viruses of which Epstein-Barr is one of them. Varicella is one of them and that's the virus that causes chickenpox and shingles. So when you get chickenpox, you get better. You get it as a child. You get better. But the virus – goes and lives in your in your nervous system and, and frankly it lives in your spinal column and it just goes dormant and you, it, your body took care of it but it's sitting there and it's dormant hmm. sometime later fast forward in your life 30 40 50 60 years your immune system isn't all it was cracked up to be and that virus sort of wakes up okay it, it was sleeping it wakes up but now because it's living in your nervous system it only it only becomes active in the distribution of a single nerve. That's called a dermatome. It was a, it's a cool thing in medical school that medical students are always trying to memorize. It's the human body, the stick figure, this outline of a human body with all these lines across. It looks like sort of like the weather map when they're doing all of those lines, those right. isotope lines. Anyway, the chickenpox becomes active in one of those. And so you get what looks like a chickenpox outbreak, but only in one portion of your skin. And it's never across the midline. So if it starts in your back, it goes left or right. It doesn't go both directions. Hmm. If it's in your um, neck, it goes down your one arm. It doesn't go down the other arm because it's serviced by a single nerve and your nerves don't go out in two directions at once. So that's that's what shingles is. For the vast majority of people who get shingles, it's a nothing burger. It is you get it for a week or two or three, it's painful, it itches, and then it goes away. And then it's over. But not everybody is it a nothing burger. For many people – not not the majority, but many people, you get what's called post-herpetic neuralgia. That is where the pain from shingles never goes away. You wow. might you might live your whole life with this nerve pain where you got shingles. That is why we give the shingle shot. We give the shingle shot not to not to spare you one week of discomfort with some scabs on your body. Mm-hmm. It's to prevent that long-term pain that can be debilitating for the rest of your life. So we do tell people – it's not maybe on the it's high up on the on the your mind about why would I get this? You know, no big deal. I'm gonna get shingles. Get it. I would get it because you okay. don't want to be one of those minority of people who get post-herpetic neuralgia. So at age 50, you get um, you are eligible. It's a two-shot series. You get it one time and then you get the second one. 
two to six months later. Okay. And are there any side effects to the shingles vaccine? You know, yeah. Well, people tell me, uh, uh, I haven't had it yet, which is kind of ridiculous because I'm, I'm quite qualified. You know, it's like doctors never do what we say. Right, right, of course. Um, people do get a very sore arm. I, I, and I have, I have heard of people getting um, feeling a little quite fatigued and achy um, for a day or two after the shingles vaccine. Okay. But that goes away. That's, yeah, that's small fry. That's small effects. fry. It goes away. So I do strongly recommend. The shingle shot, there was a previous version of it called Zostavax with a Z. That yep. was a decade ago. That was pretty good, but not all that great. The new one, the, the brand name is Shingrix, S-H-I-N-G-R-I-X, and it is highly, highly effective. Okay. Two-shot series. Go get it if you're age 50. And you de- they, we don't even ask anymore. Did you ever have chicken pox as a child? We don't even ask. Just, okay. Just, Just get assume it. it. Okay, cool. And then one other follow-up. You said that you had shingles when you were 45 but don't have the vaccine. Can you get it twice? Yes, yes, most definitely. So you should get the vaccine even if you had had it because I got it in my eye when I was – not in my eye, but in my forehead when I was training for a marathon. So I'm in pretty good shape. I'm literally running 25 miles at a crack. But what somebody told me is that that's also not that uncommon. My immune system was doing everything it possibly could to support me running 25 miles at a time. And what it wasn't doing was keeping track of that little virus. Gotcha. In my, and so it, I think I was diverting. All my body's energy stores and all my strength to running a marathon. And what happens is that I got it in my forehead. Well, as long as I'm on that, if you get shingles in your forehead, you must get an eye exam um, because it can go into your eye. That's the okay. one time shingles is very bad. Wow. I'll have the nothing burger. Thanks. Okay. All right. Moving on to our next one. We got this one from Sarah in Hudson. She, of course, it wouldn't be a Hilton's House Calls without a question about COVID. She is wondering about Paxlovid, the antiviral pills. She asks in her email, uh, are Paxlovid, the antiviral pills, effective on the most recent strains you're seeing in COVID? That's a great question, and the short answer is yes. They are effective even against the newer strains. Okay. As always with COVID, what we learn changes week to week, day to day sometimes. It changes so fast, but what we are learning is that the virus is, a, is similar enough, and these are not – they're different than the vaccines. These are oral antiviral medications that uh, uh, appear to be quite effective against all strains, including the current ones. Now, Paxlovid is the brand name for two medications that are in a single pill. They are antiviral pills, so they are taken by someone who has A, tested positive for COVID. He had to have tested positive. B, are at high risk for having complications because what they have shown is they reduce your the seriousness of covid just to put it to put it you know, succinctly it reduces the seriousness it would reduces your chance of getting hospitalized or getting seriously ill it can shorten the length of it it does not just make it magically go away today you don't take this pill and feel better 3 right. hours later so you take it if you meet criteria for being at high risk so a 24 year old who has got tested positive for COVID and doesn't really have any symptoms is not the person who should be taking these medications. You should take or ask your doctor or pharmacist, you should ask them about Paxlovid if you are over age 65. You automatically qualify if you're over age 65 or if you have other high-risk conditions. You are a cancer patient. You have heart failure. You have other kind of chronic conditions that might be affecting your body's ability to fight COVID. If you're in those groups, age 65, or you have other high-risk conditions, 
and you were had a positive COVID test, then you are a candidate for these pills. You do need to take it within the first five days. The earlier, the better. Okay. After five days, it's not worth taking it. And it's better to take it on day one or two. So contact your healthcare provider or your pharmacist early. And then you take it for twice a day for five days. Five days and still uh, proven effective. It is proven effective. And, and you know, people get a little side effects. You can get a little headache. You can get a little fatigue, a little bit of nausea. The things you can get from almost any other pill. Nothing compared to COVID. Nothing compared to COVID. If you were going to get serious COVID, anything's better than that. Gotcha. Okay, fantastic. Well, moving on, we got this one uh, on our phone lines from Kathy in Coon Rapids. Hi, Dr. Hilden. This is Kathy calling from Coon Rapids. I've heard about the new 988 number for mental health. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Thank you. This is brand new, hot off the presses, just this month uh, when we're recording here in the summer of 2022. There is a new national hotline for people experiencing a mental health crisis, and the number is simply 988. That's it. Hmm. Everybody knows 911 for emergencies, but for now, uh, now we have another number, 988. That's great. Now, this is done by the same people who have brought you the National Suicide Hotline. and But that was a regular 10-digit number that you had to remember, and it isn't on the tip of everybody's um, – the top of your mind. Right. And so um, – this was a brilliant move by the nonprofit organizations and the federal government to come up with 988. So what you will get when you call 988 is a live human trained counselor about mental health issues. So it's best used by people in a mental health crisis, specifically those who are at risk of hurting themselves or perhaps uh, suicide. Okay. There are loads of people who are thinking about suicide, who are thinking about hurting themselves and simply don't know where to turn. And if you can remember 988 or if you have a loved one who is uh, maybe struggles with some thoughts like that, 988 is the number they can call and talk to a non-judgmental, well-trained person. The other thing that's kind of interesting to me, at least in our current climate, is that often now we don't – our system doesn't really know how to always handle mental health crises. Right. So yeah. often you get a police officer and – Maybe that's not always the best way to go. Police officers are highly trained to do a whole bunch of things, but they're not mental health counselors. They're not professionals at talking to someone in crisis. So if you call 911, they have to deal with everything from car accidents to a crime in progress to, you know, your cat's up a tree to mental health crisis. It's just too many things. So 988, you will get a dedicated, not law enforcement officer, you will get a dedicated mental health counselor. I would encourage everybody to uh, to know that number and use it. And and I just applaud the the people who put it all together. Yeah, yeah. That's really great that they got that set up. That's, mm-hmm. that's it's just time. wonderful. Yep. Yeah, excellent. Cool. We got time for one more here. And I guess this is kind of a semi-related question about uh, brain health and, and uh, kind of mental wellness. Kevin in East Grand Forks wrote us and asked us this. I've heard about some connections between exercise and mental health. Is there any connection between exercise and cognitive decline in particular, such as Alzheimer's? Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin, because right now there is uh, millions of people who have cognitive problems. And by that, we mean things like dementia, uh, of which Alzheimer's disease is the biggest one, memory loss, uh, slowing down of how we're thinking. This is um, not just a few people. It's exceptionally common. And and the other thing is that there's not a lot of great treatments. Mm-hmm. There just aren't. And so that's why um, it, what it would be great to know is, is there anything you can do to kind of help your cognition? When I say cognition, that is your 
thinking functions. It's your memory. It's your speed at which you can process information. Can you handle technology? Can you remember things? That's cognition. It is the high-level human brain functions. It's not emotion so much. It's more of the thinking skills. And right now, we don't have just a ton. We don't know how why it develops in some people. It's not purely genetic. Because loads of people have Alzheimer's disease um, who did not have a genetic basis. So it's probably not that. It's just not clear. Um, lots of research is being done, but it's just not clear. But what some things have been shown to help a bit. Exercise. And I mean exercise both physical and mental exercise. So it is especially um, thought to be the case for, believe it or not, women. There was a recent study that showed that women who exercise moderately or even not that much, like 15 minutes a day walking, their speed of processing information was preserved better than those who didn't exercise. Wow. So it did not help memory itself. They were, they were still forgetful. But the speed with which they processed information, which can make a huge difference, for instance, if you're trying to read a map to get to your next right, appointment, yeah. if it's taking you 10 minutes to, to figure it out. So that, um, that was with physical exercise seemed to help speed of, of thinking in women. It didn't work so well in men, for uh, which is unfortunate. But there's also all kinds of other information out there in the scientific um, uh, research studies that show that mental exercises, doing crossword puzzles, reading, word finds, watching Jeopardy. I, I'm just- The Wordle. The Wordle. Okay. I'm just throwing right. things off the top of my head. Exercise your mind. Excellent. That has That's helpful. And exercising your body because it also helps your cardiovascular health. It keeps you, it keeps you physically fit. And it is thought that perhaps physical exercise might help a little bit. But that recent study was mostly in your speed of processing. It was really fascinating. And uh, in any case, there's very little downside. So as we get older, we should all exercise our brains and exercise our bodies as much as we can. That sounds like a plan. Well, that's it for today. Once again, Dr. Hilton, we got a lot of great information in a short amount of time. I want to thank you for answering those questions. It's been great to hear what's on listeners' minds. Lots of really relevant stuff, I think, in this episode, stuff that uh, is on people's minds. So thank you, everybody, for sending in your questions. Keep those questions coming regardless of what topic it is. Whatever's on your mind, keep your questions coming to us, and we'll get to them in a future episode of Hilden's House Calls. So if you like the podcast, please tell your friends. And if you have the time, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. Thanks for joining us for this show. We're glad you've been with us. And I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Healthy Matters Podcast. And in the meantime, be healthy and be well. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. To keep up to date with the latest in healthcare and your health, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on Healthy Matters or to browse the archive, visit our website at healthymatters.org. And if you have a question or comment for the doctor, email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. To catch all the latest from Dr. Hilden and the Healthy Matters podcast, follow us on Twitter at drdavidhilden. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support us, please leave us a review and share the Healthy Matters podcast with your friends and family. The Healthy Matters podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and engineered by John Lucas at Highball. Executive producers are Jonathan Comito and Christine Hill. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have more serious or pressing health concerns. Until next time... 
Be healthy and be well.